the point is, in the, in the world of modern science, you see the funding question set is what you can test. In the 19th century, science was a lot freer. Darwin, for example, didn't have to apply for grants or go to ethics committees. Um, Darwin didn't have an academic post, he didn't have a grant, he just did his own research. He was an amateur naturalist. And a lot of the great uh, innovators in 19th century science were working independently. Now, almost everybody is institutionalized and on very short leashes, of, and, and most senior scientists spend most of their time filling in grant applications. Even junior ones spend quite a lot of time doing that. And so what you can get funded depends, determines what you do. And because peer review is an inherently conservative process, both for publication and grants, this also has an extremely restrictive effect on what science can do. There are certainly institutional constraints, that's without a doubt. You work within certain paradigms and so on. I'm not too sure the institutional constraints are the complete explanation why some of the things that you want to look at or want to be looked at uh, haven't been looked at. I think it, it, it's, um, there's more to it than that. And Rupert's view on that may be that the dogma would prevent it. Or well, the I scientific... think it's peer group pressure, you see. Right. I think that the... I know this is the case because I went... I gave a talk on my work on dogs that know when their owners are coming home to a veterinary school in England uh, where um, there was a a sub-department of companion animal research. Companion animal is the academic word for pets. And, and <laughs> so um, and I gave this talk, and there were six members of staff. I thought, it meant, I thought it meant husbands, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there were six members of staff and some students. It was a small group, and I gave my data, the statistics, all that kind of thing, and there were some polite questions about methods and stuff. And after the, the talk, we had tea, and one after another of the members of staff came up to me with their tea, and they, they looked like that, and then they said, you know, I'm sure this happens, my dog knows when I'm coming home from the lab. And, and, and he said, but I can't mention it to my colleagues, they're all so straight. And then, and then the next one came up and said, you know, we had a dog that did this when I was a child, and it's one of the things that got me into this field of research. And then another one said, I'm always meeting people who say this happens, but I don't know. When all six, including the professor, had said the same thing, and they'd said, you know, I can't tell my colleagues. I said, I said to them, you know, why don't you guys come out? You'd have, <laughs> You'd have so much more fun. And, um, uh, and you see, I, my, my, actually, my recipe for the transformation of science and medicine is not piling up vast amounts more evidence in peer-reviewed journals. I do that. I think we need to do it. But I think it would be something like a coming-out movement. And actually, Sam, you're uh, at the leading edge of this. <laughs> not in front of a live audience. <laughs>